much for this blessed day, and we thank you, Lord, so much that you are sovereign and God and holy, a God full of mystery, wonder, and all. We bow down in our hearts and we worship you. We thank you that thou art not only Father, but consist of Son, even our Lord Jesus, and even more of the Holy Spirit, the blessed Trinity of God. We thank you so much that you are creator, and we are creature. You are great and awesome, wonderful, not only great, but good, loving, kind, full of grace. Thou art the repository of all truth. Thou art the God of love. We thank you so much that uh, your love sent your own Son, even the Lord Jesus, to provide the only way of escape for us. For our first Adam, our father, brought us into sin, and it was the divine plan of the ages that the second Adam, even the Lord Jesus, would come, would offer his life on our behalf, and make the payment for our sin that only he could make as God and man. And we thank you so much for the salvation that is so free and so wonderful that is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here this morning, and pray that that you would use us, Lord, to be a part of the great enterprise, the building of the church of Jesus Christ. It is the great thing. It's not our businesses. It's not international conglomerate business types, IBM and some of these others, good companies and otherwise. It is the building of the church of Jesus Christ. That's your business. And we ask, Father, that even as Rob gave such a good report on the track distribution, that your word would not return void, that many would be nudged to consider their God and their lost condition and the glory of heaven and the terribleness of hell and their need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We ask, Lord, as a church, that you would use us as a beachhead for the gospel in this area. Thank you for providing this place. Thank you for the land on Silver Springs Road. Thank you, Lord, for the approval so far, one step at a time. You're Jehovah Jireh. You've met all our needs. Grow us, Lord, to love you more and more from our heart outward. May we never be caught in the trap of the external, in the performance. Uh, Lord, we are easily prone to that project images that are far greater than really you know the case to be. And may we love you from our hearts, Lord, our soul and our strength, and our neighbors, all others, as even greater than ourselves. May we consider them that way as the servants of the Lord Jesus. Open the Word now and teach us. Accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Please uh, take your Bible and look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 20. I've entitled uh, the message, God Looks uh, at the Heart. You know, I, I, I'm increasingly uh, committed to the realization that God wants your heart, your heart. I often will say that, Faithy and I had that in the same structure with our children when we raise them. You know, it's easy to have all kinds of rules, right? When you have, there's another rule, you broke another rule, another rule, and the kids are like, well, like, oh, you have 503 rules. You know, when will it ever end? That's it's really not rule-keeping, and we decided that's not the best thing. We had a few principles, that's it. But what we really wanted our children to do is to, if God would be pleased, to, that they would love Him from the heart. That's what God wants. 
Yeah, we are. We're miserable, wretched folks left to ourselves. We're born in sin and we sin. That's what sinners do. That's what I do. That's what you do. You look good. You smell good today. But you are born a sinner lost. And if God didn't intervene in your life through saving faith, you had nothing but a Christless eternity to look forward to. And, and even once we are saved, right, we still battle the flesh. Romans 7. That what I don't want to do, I do. And that what I want to do, I don't do. And I discover there's a war going on within me. Now, it's the power of the gospel. It's not our personal reformation, right? I can't do it. I can't live a Christ-like life. and can't do it. It's the power of God that's in your life, if you know Jesus as your Savior, and in my life that God is saying, look, you're my project. I'm going to conform you through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, in the fellowship of other Christians, call it the fellowship of the saints, and I'm going to grow you up and prepare you for heaven, and bit by bit, some of these sinful things that you've Long habits, uh, they're going to drop away as I'm going to change you. And, uh, and come away. the word so salvation means uh, sozo in the Greek means to be whole. You know, sin has a way of chaining us. It makes us less human. Salvation, in a very real sense, not only gives us heaven, but it gives us the ability to love and to God with all our heart in a sense of wholeness right here and now. You know, I mean, God knows everything about us. We're completely transparent before him. I mean, can you hide from God? Adam and Eve tried to do that, didn't they? Tried to hide in the garden. Adam, where art thou? And God wasn't seeking information there. <laughs> it was probing his heart. Say, something horrible has happened here, Adam. Take note of that. He sinned, remember that? And uh, our utter and total transparency before the Lord. That's how we come to the cross. The Lord knows what a mess we are. And we come as Billy Graham's old, just as I am without one plea. I mean, I realize I'm a wretched man. And God saves wretched men and women. And then he begins through the power of gospel to set us on the journey that ends in heaven. And bit by bit by bit by bit, he's conforming us and changing us into the image of Jesus. And he wanted, he's giving us a love of the Lord with all our heart in a transparent way. Even though we still trip and fall and fail and we fail each other and we fail the Lord and we say things and do things that we shouldn't do. And God's saying, I'm working on that. I'm still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, but he's still working on it. That's what he's doing. It's called progressive sanctification. He's doing it in my life. And I sense the Lord molding me and changing me, making me more tender, yearning to be more like Jesus from the heart out. And daily, it's a daily thing. It's almost an hour-by-hour hour thing, isn't it not? I mean, when we sin, to get on our knees and the Lord, I, I failed again. Please, if, it, if I were you, I'd kick me out. But the Lord doesn't do that. Isn't that great? How wonderful. And the message today, God looks at the heart, reminds us of all this for the Lord um, reminds us how easy it is for us to appear, right? There to be more spiritual, more godly than what we really are. You know, I wonder, you know, I'm glad I don't have the mind of Christ in that, right? I look out and I'm like, uh, 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 uh not quite. Not. Well, then the same thing for you looking up here, oh, you know, it's so easy for us to do that, to parade around with a sense of showmanship, hey, everything's okay. When, in fact, from the heart out, we know it's not. 
You know, that, that, that wonderful principle, I call it the 4 2 3 Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. We're to love the Lord with all our heart. The externals and all that don't really matter. They really don't matter. It's our heart. It's our heart. It's so easy for our hearts to be so far away from where they ought to be and yet present ourselves uh, to one another and to each other as having it all together. Our hearts may be filled with, with lust. We live in a world that's pornographic everywhere you look. They can't sell tires without some babe on the thing, you know, and this kind of that, and it feeds that and everywhere, you, you know. Lust of all sorts, greed, jealousy, self, you know, all of these, and we can be, have hatred, malice in our heart, and yet project like, hey, I'm walking with the Lord. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. This is a Romans 7 type stuff here. Well, there was a day in Israel when, uh, and Jesse read that so well, they needed a new king. I mean, Saul disqualified. Disobeyed the Lord, and finally God said, that's it, Saul, you're done. We're going we're gonna to get another king. And so he sends the prophet Samuel uh, to Bethlehem, to uh, David's hometown. Jesse's his father. That's why, Jesse, I wanted you to read that. And uh, went through the whole line of it. He comes in and he looks at the, the, uh, the brothers there. And here's the, the, the oldest one. He's big, strapping, handsome guy. And here's Samuel the prophet. Oh, he looks like a king. He's got to be the king, right? He looks like a king. It's like JFK. Oh, he's handsome. He should be our president, you know. I wonder how many people voted for him that way. Looks like a president, right? Kind of thing. Well, that's what they, and, and God said the same. No, that's not him. God, man looks at the outside. I look at the heart. And went all the way through. The eighth born was David. He's the one that has a heart for me. Do not look on his appearance. I have on your sheet for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus is in the temple now in our text in Luke. He's in Jerusalem, of course, just days before his death. At this point, he, has, he, he offered one final denunciation against the religious leaders of the Jews, right in front of them all. Notice his boldness. I mean, that's pretty incredible. He stands in the temple court, and he renounces the big shots uh, there of Judaism, the scribes. They're the lawyers. You say, well, lawyers should get that. No, they, were the, they studied the, the Old Testament, and, and they, uh, they knew the Jewish laws and all of that. They were thought to, to be the, the upper crust of that day. And here's the Lord in boldness. He rebukes them. Right in front of you get the idea here as you read through Luke in these final the Lord is in complete control of all the circumstances going on. He is not a victim here. And that's right. He is sovereign God. He is Lord of all, even in his humiliation here of the incarnation. At this uh, one point, he denounces the leaders right in front of them. He showed them what was wrong with their religion. And what was wrong with anyone who tried to impress people by being spiritual? Jesus to his disciples, don't imitate their love for popularity. And the reason is God's not impressed. We're impressed, right? We're impressed with long resumes. We're impressed with appearance. We're impressed with the trimmings of this or that. We're easily impressed, right? 
Jesus wants the disciples, he's speaking to them directly, to his, that are near him, but he's speaking loud enough for the hundreds and the thousands around him in the Temple Mount, namely the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to hear. And he wants them to know, listen, God is not impressed with that. That takes boldness. You know, you know boldness in your life when you live for Jesus? Boldness is, uh, a lot of folks will say, how do I know if I'm walking with Jesus? You know, boldness is one of the measures of that. I'm not talking about being crude or rude, but a boldness to stand and speak for Jesus. You won't do that if you're not where you ought to be spiritually. Jesus boldly in the Spirit is denouncing the leaders of Judaism here. In fact, at another place, and don't, don't be confused on it, he said, you're of your father, the devil. He's speaking to the leaders. It's no wonder they hated him. No wonder they said, we've got to X him out and get rid of this guy. Wow. Well, he wants them to know that God's not impressed with spiritual showmanship. What he's saying is, listen, you've got to be all in. There it is. We've got nothing else today. What in the world did the pastor talk about? He said that Jesus said, you have to be all in from the heart out. And if you're not all in from the heart out, forget the outside. Who cares? You can walk, the, you can walk a certain way and appear a certain way, like, oh, I, you're, I'm a Christianist, but if your heart is just filled with what it ought not to be filled, because you're not up to date with, in your confession, in your life, then don't put on. Don't pretend. That's hypocritical. It's an actor, and God hates it. He's not impressed, and he knows. And the Lord wants them to know this in the final days before his death. Remember his last question to him last time we saw, how is it that David could call him Lord, and yet he's a son? And the answer was from Revelation, right? Jesus signs the Bible saying, I am the root and the offspring of David. He's saying, I'm David's God and David's son. How in the world could he ever say that in Revelation 20? Through the incarnation. That's it. The miracle of God made flesh. Well, there are two words from Jesus urging us to please the Lord from the heart in this text of ours today. Uh, the end of uh, it's chapter 20, verse 45. It's unfortunate that there's a chapter division here. Now, the chapter, I've told you that before, right? The chapter and the verse divisions are not inspired. You know that? You know, when, when Paul wrote that, he didn't go like chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse, okay? They were added by Stephanus in the 1500s. Now, we're really glad for that because when Jesse said, turn to 1 Samuel 16, if we, imagine if we had no way to divide that, right? We like, you'd still be looking for it. Okay, so we're glad for that. But where they made the division, it was a subjective thing. It wasn't spirit-led, but it's helpful. And here's a case where it had been better if the division came a little bit later because we're going to go into chapter 21, verses 1 to 4 as well. You can see from the heading. Well, two words from Jesus urging us to please the Lord from the heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. Love the Lord with all your heart. We must resist the sinful temptation to appear as something better than what we really are and we know ourselves to be from the heart out. Oh, wretched man that I am, right? Who should deliver me? That's the Apostle Paul. The thanks be to the Lord who always gives us the victory. 
Praise the Lord for that. I love the church. I love the church because it's, it's sinners gathered together, redeemed. You know, and we go outside the door of the gathering of the church, and in society, we have all different hierarchies, right? I'm this, I'm that, I'm of this, I'm the boss, I, you know, I have this abilities, I'm few this. But when we walk in and gather together, we're all equal. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I love that so much. I, I mentioned that the other night. I heard, uh, I heard one of the radio Bible teachers teaching that, and uh, he at Wood, Woody Crow had slipped into a church, and he, he listened in a Sunday school class, and all of a sudden he slipped in, sat down, and listened to the good Bible teaching message. And when it was all over, he made conversation with a person sitting next to him, and the man next to him was a professional man, and he said, and that man works for me in my, in my business, and yes, he's the custodian, the teacher. So you see, there are a variety of gifts, but we step two, we come together, we're all in Christ, we're all in equal if you know him, and then there's the exhibition of the gifts, and it could be just the opposite of the world outside. You know, the servant teacher like, is teaching and uh, versus the master sitting being fed, and I love the church in that way. I love it so much. Well, two words. The first is a word of warning. It's not about appearances. God hates hypocrisy, and so should we. And you know what? It's more than that. We should hate it in our own life. I don't want you to be looking at the guy next to you or the lady next to you. Or yeah. No, I want you to turn around and say, you know, God hates that in my life. He hates it, and I want you to say that. He hates that when I go through the motions, when I know, in fact, my heart's far behind that. I mean, I can be uh, very... Uh, pharisaical myself, like the scribes here. They were all about getting. That's, that's, he's going to compare it with this widow. Uh, the scribes were all about getting. They stood as polar opposites to Jesus. And uh, he wants them to know that, that God is not impressed with their hypocrisy. Well, the spiritual leaders, let's uh, read the text in Luke 20, verse uh, 45. And in the hearing of all the people, Jesus in the Temple Mount, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, best seats in the synagogue, and the places of honor at the feast. They devour widows' houses for a pretense. They make long prayers. They will receive greater judgment, uh, condemnation. Yes, Jesus looked up then and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty and put in all that she had to live on. The first uh, word from Jesus urging us to please him from the heart is that Jesus warns us not to be about appearances, for God hates hypocrisy. The spiritual leaders desired uh, praise and honor and money. They were bound up with pride. They were bound up with greed. These are the spiritual leaders, but they were lost, unregenerate. They didn't love the Savior. They wanted to kill him. Uh, they, uh, and, and so uh, uh, Jesus boldly offers a blistering, if you will, 
A blistering public critique within the hearing of all. What boldness. Well, one, they love to wear ostentatious robing. You can close your eyes and see it, right? They're walking around flowing robes and tassels hanging out. Oh, they're godly. Oh, they're like, they're like death within. Yes, God, look what. Oh, they look godly. Jesus, God's not a part of that stuff. You see, it's not the outside, not the package. Not the package, it's on the inside that counts. Remember that? They long to be addressed by special titles, to be recognized. And if they weren't, they were really put out. In fact, they wrote it in the rabbinical law that they needed to be recognized by their titles and public settings and all of that, that somehow they sensed they were above others, that they were better. The self-important thought, they deserve better because of their position in life. God hates that. Can you see how polar opposite that is to the Lord of glory? I mean, think of Philippians 2. He left a realm of glory and came way, 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 way down in his humiliation to bear our sin. You know, yeah, that wonderful, wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that means before the incarnation, yet for your sake, Paul says, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. When you become an inheritance of the things of eternal life that Jesus alone provides, we're, we're sons of God, the sons of the kingdom. I mean, think about heaven forever and the glory of that. I mean, what would you trade for that? Wealth, true wealth. It was because he was rich, he became poor. These guys, uh, they flowing robes, and they wanted their names recognized, and, and they, they were pompous and filled up with self-importance in their spiritual showmanship. And God hates that. He hates that. Jesus wants us to know that. Three, what else? They felt they deserved the best seats at the synagogue gathering or at the meals. They wanted to sit next to the host, you know, in the U-shaped table and the way they sat. Now they, they wanted the number one spot. You know, right up front, right there next in the synagogue, right in the front row, they felt on it. They deserved it. They, and four, they felt they could take money from those who could very least afford it, from the widows. Not sure what that statement means. Uh, did they help manage their property and then, then siphon off a good percentage of it? Some think that. Or some think they just squeezed them and took, uh, for spiritual reasons, money from, from those that uh, were left alone in this world. Well, whatever it was, God hates that kind of thing. I mean, true religion undefiled is what? What's the measure of real, real genuine faith in your life? James tells us is that we care for those that are most vulnerable and weakest we share of what we have with them, our strength, our protection, and our money. We don't extract from them and take it. How awful is that? I mean, the world recognizes how evil that is. They need protection and shelter, not to be, not to be squeezed and taken advantage of. And these, these men did that, these scribes. And finally, they would pray long prayers to be well thought of. But God was not impressed with that. Long prayers on the, on the street corners, right? Never could see him in the robes. Oh, oh, he's a holy man. Oh, oh. God hates that. 
in the person of Jesus. He's telling us. Now, just to, I remind you in the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, keep your finger in Luke, but just look at Matthew 6. Remember the Lord taught that on, on praying? He's telling the disciples there not to do these kind of things when we pray. Praying is very important. It is as we pour our hearts out to the Lord, as we worship Him, as we thank Him, we're filled with gratitude, as we find daily confession of sin, as we pray for the needs of one another in our family, in our life, and in our church. And, and the Lord assumes that we will pray. I mean, a, a prayerless Christian is, is really probably not a true Christian. And in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 5, look what he just says about these uh, hypocrites who would pray. When you pray, Jesus saying to his true followers, when he assumes we will, you must not be like the hypocrites, the ones he's talking about in Luke. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Here's the reason, that they might be seen. That's their motive. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What's that mean? When people say, oh, they're godly, Jesus is saying, that's all they get. That's their reward. What a lousy reward that is. You know how people's opinions and fickle, how fickle they are. Oh, that's wow. That wow, that's it. Enjoy it, he says. That's all they get. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Jesus is telling us we're going to pray as his father. Go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. That should be the, the, the mark of our life, that we have a secret place where we meet with the Lord and we commune with him and fellowship him. And why? To resist that sense within us to appear as a showman who's spiritually perhaps where I'm not, and I appear to men for the appearance, what? For appearances, I think, Roger, you said this early, can be very deceiving. Right? They can be. Let's be truthful from our heart. Well, so be. Jesus told that such hypocritical spiritual leaders as these will receive greater judgment in the day in which he will judge the earth. I mean, how do we know it's true? Here's real simple. He's the judge. I mean, not here come the judge. He is the judge, and he's already saying, they're in deep trouble. They're in deep trouble. They say, well, did that prejudice their case? Well, I don't know. He's omniscient, so you figure that out. You say, well, where's that found? Uh, and and I, have it, I have the text down uh, in Revelation 20. Do you want to see? Uh, you should know where this is. Uh, in Revelation 20, verse 11, because here we find the, uh, the great uh, white throne judgment. And this is the judgment Jesus is talking about. In the day, uh, unless uh, Christ comes into their life and they're wonderfully saved, and that could happen, but if there's no change, these hypocrites are in deep trouble. And, and, and Revelation 20, 11, and finally, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, that's Jesus, and from his presence earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fires. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life 
was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus is saying that uh, theirs will be greater judgment. Why is that? Well, from James 3.1, remember the warning, don't be many teachers among you, because with the teachers, like the scribes were the teachers, uh, there's greater judgment to the teacher. Why? Because of influence. Influence. Now, we are all teachers in some way in our families, in our homes, and and we, we teach informally to those around about the things of the Lord. I trust we do that. But uh, the formal setting of a teacher, don't, don't desire to be a teacher unless God definitely, why? Because when you stand before him, he is going to, you are going to be subject to greater accountability of your influence of how you led other people, rightly or wrongly. And he will evaluate that and judge that. Well, how deadly, see, these attitudes are in the church where we still face many temptations to, for pharisaical pride. Uh, we are called to be who we are in Christ, nothing more, nothing less. That's why we're, we're called, you know, in James, confess your sins one to the other. It has a way of <laughs> reminding us again, wait a minute, we still sin. And, uh, and there's a way in which we humbly do that, perhaps in small groups or with another, and we find that that humbles us and that we are nothing apart from Christ, and it's all of Christ. It's nothing of us from beginning to end. We are called to be who we are in Christ, nothing more, nothing less. Consider Jesus again, who did not seek a place for himself. He had no place to lay his head. He set aside glory, and he died for you and he died for me. What matters most to our humble Savior is not what we wear, though, you know, it's nice to have clothing, but the idea of focusing on the outside, remember, it's focus. You know, the heart is evil and desperately wicked, but we're just going to wrap the wrapper up and make it look pretty good and smell pretty That That's not it, he's saying. It's not what we wear. It's, it really isn't what people call us. You know, we might be the right reverend, this, that, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? That doesn't mean, mean a hill of beans. That three bucks, you get a cup of coffee. No, I heard Starbucks is raising it 10 cents. So, you know, like, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, they call Jesus, Jesus, right? Son of man, son of God. But Jesus, his favorite title for himself was son of man. The Lord of glory, the creator of all. It doesn't matter what, they, what we call, or it doesn't matter what seat we sit in. Like, oh, I'm, I'm upset. I didn't, they put me back there. They didn't care about me. I should have been sitting up in the place of honor. They didn't recognize me. I did all this work, and they didn't name me. That, that kind of that craziness. Who cares? I mean, uh, uh, but what matters is what you are on the inside. The inside, the inside out, for God sees our heart. And you can't do it. I can't do it. You know, it's his work in us. But we have to say, Lord, please work in me. Change me. I hate, I'm nauseated with these things. You know, and I go through a list of things in my own life. Very often daily, I go like, Lord, some of these things make me sick. You know, you think of pride and arrogance. And it has a way of coming out in some strange ways. You know, we kind of dress it up, but really when you cut through it, it's arrogance, pride, it's self-centeredness. It, that, I've learned that, that that reeks, and I hate it, really, uh, in, in this guy. And I, I go like, ah, you know, in, in a whole, and I go, Lord, change me. 
change me through the power of the gospel. I want people to see only and ever Jesus in me. Please, Lord, please. Well, Jesus offers a word of warning. But more than that, he goes on in verses 1 through 3 and 4 in the next chapter. He offers a word of encouragement. It's all about uh, the insight, as we saw, and God has a good word uh, for this woman, and her word is, this woman is generous. Now, I wouldn't say it like that down on Wall Street and probably in the halls of D.C. Well, she gave a lot. She dropped a lot in. No. But God, who evaluates all things in the person of Jesus, has a good word for this lady. He says that she is unbelievably generous. And when Jesus says that, I kind of want to know what is the context, what is he saying here? Because, wow, first of all, he noticed. You know, the Lord always notices our generosity in our life. He notices even the smallest of things. How about a widow that's unseen with no fanfare? He notices. He's omniscient. He knows. And someday... uh, I will stand before him, and so will you. Well, this woman is quite different from the scribes. They were all about getting, getting, getting praise, getting honor, getting money. She, this poor widow, and it is the word meaning abjunct poverty. She is poor. I mean, we're talking the bottom here. This poor widow is all about giving. Isn't that amazing? She stands in huge contrast as a model for us of quiet faithfulness. She's not displaying, parading around like, whoa, look at me, aren't I? No. Quiet, godly faithfulness. You know, I've seen that through the years. The saints that just seem to be steady Eddie, just quiet. Not a lot of fanfare, not a lot of flash, just faithful, faithful, faithful. Faithful in their giving, faithful in their daily life, faithful reading their Bible. Faith, she's a picture of that. And it ought to encourage you that way. For Jesus sees all and knows all. And she's a picture of that. The, almost the least of that whole society in that day. Her quiet faithfulness. Jesus' good word, wow, she's faithful. She's generous. Hey, Jesus is still in the temple area in chapter 21. He's uh, in the area that are near 13 collection boxes. Now, this today we took an offering under the Lord Jesus, and uh, we passed the plates. Maybe we ought to get baskets or something. I don't know. And that day they didn't do that like that. But in the temple area, if we can trust the writings of Josephus and his uh, antiquities, they had uh, 13 trumpet-like uh, containers uh, that were uh, made of metal, and the, the bottom was... Uh, uh, was wider, and it came up to a neck, and it was a small neck on top. And there were 13 of those around the temple area in the court area, because we know the woman is approaching. She's still in the, the court uh, where she uh, is able to be. And they would drop their money uh, into, you know, hundreds around. They would just kind of line up and then drop their coins into this thing, and uh, it would go for the ministry of the temple. It would buy, certain ones would buy certain sacrifices, oils, all that kind of thing, and, and support the ministry there in, in that day. Well, uh, Jesus is there, and, and we see that in verse 1. Jesus uh, looked up, and he saw the rich putting there. He's in the temple area. Look, he's watching the rich now, and they're bringing their gifts to one of these uh, 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 metal boxes, trumpet-shaped thing, offering box. 
uh, and they're putting their gifts in. And he saw, then he saw a poor widow put into small copper coins and so on. So that's, that's the setting. He's watching them. Uh, it reminds me again that Jesus always sees what I give and if it's given from the heart. He knows that. He can evaluate that even though our heart is often twisted. And I hope my motives are right. Uh, incidentally, that's one reason why we, we don't have a trumpet up here and have a parade and, okay, Raj, bring your offering. Okay, Mike, uh, let's bring your, <laughs> drop it in. You know, like we try and practice secret giving because we really want to honor giving unto the Lord. We, we have a financial secretary that simply records it under a number basis uh, you know, to keep it anonymous so that, that we don't know who gives what, so that our giving is really under the Lord Jesus. And, and we do the best we can. It's quite, quite different from a parade coming up. Now, I, I read in Africa, sometimes the missionaries will talk about uh, that's how they'll do it. They'll have the ladies line up, and they'll come up front, and they'll put their money in, and the men after a period, they'll do the same thing, and they'll try, and the, when the, the ladies put in more than the men, and they'll do, we're going to do it. And I've been in settings like that. Like, we didn't get enough, and we're going to call everybody again to come up, and these kind of things. We don't do that because, uh, well, we don't do that. I'm glad we don't do that. But we still give from the heart, and the Lord knows it, and we give it unto him. Uh, not knowing the left hand, knowing what the right hand is doing. We try to honor that. Well, the Lord watches the rich coming up, and they're putting their coins. I don't think they're dropping, you know, like a lot, of, a lot of places today, you can use your credit card. You know, like you can, you can do your giving online, and someday maybe we'll do that soon, maybe with a new, we're reworking the whole webpage and all that for the fall, and maybe we'll have a giving thing, because a lot of churches do that. Uh, no. But they weren't checks, and they weren't envelopes. They were coins. Well, certainly it wasn't paper dollars, right? So they're coins, all kinds of coins. Gold coins, silver coins, denarius, you know, these shekels. And they, uh, leptra, these are two little leptra. These are, uh, we're going to discover this, this woman puts in uh, two coins that were the smallest possible. I mean, you think of a penny, right? Yes, I see pennies in the parking lot. People don't even pick up pennies anymore. Have you ever? Have, now, be honest. If you walk past the penny, how many have done that? Say, like, I'm not going to do it. All right, about three of you are honest with me. The rest of you are not honest. But there was a day when I was a kid, I found a penny. That's a bubble gum, right? And uh, two cents, you got two cents, you took your bottles, and, and now it's a different... These, these coins that she puts in were the lowest possible. They were one-eighth of one penny. I mean, it was the bottom. If we can trust Plummer, Plummer said uh, that, uh, that they were forbidden to even give one of those. They had to give at least two. It was so small a number that uh, the priest didn't want it. They didn't want to bother counting it. I mean, it was the bare minimum. You know, I love that when we put our financial report in the bulletin. Bonnie types that up for us and and uh, what I love about it is, um, and I'm always real careful in that. I know you see that, Bonnie, is I always put the pennies. Because I always think, oh, that, that was probably a child's offering, you know, like 13 cents for the month or 18 cents. You know, like every penny counts. I think of this in the widow's might. The King James calls it a widow's might, and that's where that comes from, this tax, that that's given as a maybe a child under the Lord, like 
My mother taught me when I was you take your, your quarters in and you put them in, the, in, your, in your Sunday school collection and you give that to Jesus. And I, at the very early age, I learned that and Faithy learned that. And perhaps you were blessed by learning that as well. Well, okay, so now Jesus looks up, sees this line of wealthy people, and they're, how do we know that they're dropping coins in and they're dropping big coins in, right? And they're there for a long time. You can hear the sound. Uh, 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 uh. And hundreds of people around, they're like, whoa, this is, this is big time stuff. You know, big offerings there, right? They're there a long time, dropping a lot of coins in. Narrow top, couldn't reach down in. They just... And then finally, right, this widow comes, very poor widow. She's got these little, little leptas, in the Greek it's lepta, or widow mites, they call it mite in King James. She tried, I, I, one writer, you couldn't even hear it, hit, when it, you know, you dropped, oop. Gee, I wanted to, did it get in there? I didn't hear it. That's how little it was. Another one, there, didn't even hear it. I mean, that's, that, is a, that is a small offering to the Lord, right? That nobody was, no one said, wow. No one was impressed. No, I guarantee it. And the Lord looks up and he sees all this. The crowd's very impressed by the large gifts given by the, but not Jesus. He's not impressed at all. He wants us to know that God's not impressed at the previous offering from the wealth. Not at all. Then with this very poor will, she gives this gift. It's the smallest possible gift. I have it on your sheet. And she gave, in the Lord's words, she gave everything. She gave all that she had to him. Kind of reminds me, of, I think it was last year, I told you the story about Bill Borden. The Borden Foods, maybe the ladies know that more than the men, but Bill Borden, he was the heir to the Borden food, uh, dairy product, uh, and all that kind of thing. And uh, he was born in 1904. I'm not going to re-give the story, but it's an incredible story about Bill Borden, how he came to know the Lord Jesus. Even as a wealthy man, he went to Yale, graduated from Yale. Uh, in his Bible, uh, when uh, he decided that God wanted to be a missionary, he wrote in his Bible two words, uh, no reserves. And then as he went to Yale and through his years of study there, and God used him to change that whole school as hundreds and hundreds, by the time he was graduating, were in weekly Bible studies. Many of them had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And upon graduation from Yale University, Bill Borden uh, turned down some high-paying jobs. In his Bible, then, he wrote next to the first word he had written, uh, no reserve, he wrote these words, no retreats. He was headed to be a missionary. He went to Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. He finished his studies. He felt God wanted him to work with the Chinese. And uh, he began, to, he, he left then, uh, and, uh, and there were Arab, Arabic people over in China. And uh, he thought he'd study in Egypt on the way Arabic. And within a month, the 25-year-old William Borden died. 25-year-old heir to that. And when news hit, it was cabled around the world. It was carried in every American newspaper. And I quote, a wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden, he had not only given his wealth away, his wealth, but he gave himself in a way so joyously and naturally that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice, uh, wrote Mary Taylor, 
uh, in her introductory biography. And so he asked the question, was Bill Borden's untimely death a waste? Was it a waste? Not in God's perspective. Prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in his Bible. Unearth, underneath the words, no reserves, no retreats. He wrote, no regrets. He gave everything he had to the glory of God, and God is still using his example, swept many into missions through his life example. And even to this day, God continues to use Bill Borden's testimony even while he's in heaven. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Well, this widow demonstrates through her giving that her treasure was in heaven because that is where her heart was. She displays in her giving God's greatness. In other words, he's worthy of everything we have, right? He's a, the great king. He was worthy of everything she had, everything you have. He's, he, in her giving, she displayed his grace, that he is the great giver. Grace means that, charis. He's the, he gives us without merit, without favor, breath, heartache, heart, heartache, heartbeat, and all the caviar of life. And so she wanted to respond to his grace, his gifts by giving. His love and care she displayed. Her trust in him to care for her future she displayed. She could have given one coin. That would have been 50%. That would have been far more than a tithe and certainly far more than, than most people give to the Lord. But she didn't. She gave both. She gave 100%. She gave everything, everything to the Lord. Amazingly, Jesus, on a huge scale of all the gifts given, he takes them all in like a scale. You know, one of these weighing scale. The Lord is saying, like, all the gifts. Now, it's not just the one wealthy guy's gift that preceded her, but all of the gifts. It's like he takes one of those balanced scales. He's got all these gifts on this side with the enormous amount of gold and silver and all those shekels and all that. And then on the other side, you've got two mites, two lepta, two little, these two pennies, or if you will. And he, he goes like this. He's weighing it, and her side is heavier. He said what she gave was more than all the rest. What an incredible statement that is. And, and, why is that? Because she gave, in the text, she gave all that she had to live on. In the Greek, she gave her bios, biology. She gave her very life. That's the word we get life from. Wow. She gave it all. And Jesus has a good word for her generosity. He commends her for it. Jesus tells that she gave more than the rest. They, they gave out of their abundance. It, you know, the expression, give until it hurts, never hurt them. and doesn't hurt most of us. We are wealthy by world standards. And our giving to God is, uh, is a trifle. It's a shame most of the time. We give and we don't even feel. It doesn't change our daily life. We hardly have to sacrifice. Uh, what's that sacrifice? I said that to one person one time. I said, well, maybe we ought to have a sacrificial offering. Sacrifice? I don't think Americans know how to sacrifice. I think that's true. You mean I have to give up my jelly sandwich for lunch and put it in the offering plate? What? 
That's a staggering sacrifice. How embarrassing by world standards. He who gave up everything, though he was rich for us, that he might become poor, that we might become rich. Extravagant grace is what Jesus gives us. Wow, they gave out of their abundance. She gave with no reserve. She gave her very life. And God and Jesus commends her for her generosity. Wow. That's the kind of family I married into. I should tell a little secret here. Maybe I did that. That's Faithy's family. Uh, Her dad is now in heaven. Oldest uh, son in the family. And when World War II came, he and the uh, two brothers, of course, they they were gone. They were over in Europe for all those years. And uh, uh, his mother, a little German lady, about yay high, (laughs) It was a, was a great gospel witness for broken German English and uh, there in Cheltenham, Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia area. And uh, she, she uh, and was in a tough situation, married to a man, German man, again, a plumber, uh, alcoholic, uh, didn't know Jesus until just after she died. He came to know Jesus when he was 60 and then died of a heart attack. Didn't live very long after she died. But when Pop was over in, in World War II with uh, Patton's army, he was with the Third Army in a half-track, uh, he sent all his money home every month as a GI to his mother to support his mama because he knew that Dad would drink up the money and all that kind of thing. And just to show you what kind of family I married up into when I married Faithy, by God's sweet grace, he came home and uh, and found out from his mother she gave all the money away to ministry. Oh, Fred, I didn't spend any of it. I gave it to missionaries in ministry. And he said, Mama, I gave it to, you could buy eggs and bread, butter and bread. And, 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 and that's the kind of family I lived in. They knew what it was to, to give. And, and aren't the givers the blessed ones? Jesus said it. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive because that's like our Lord. That's the kind of family I married into. That's like this widow here. They didn't have much. She gave, and number one, she gave more than the wealthy in terms of real cost. She gave the most. What others gave cost them little. The size of the gift, here's the point, the size of the gift doesn't equal sacrifice, does it? Uh, God doesn't count, here it is, he doesn't count the monies, the zeros, he doesn't count, he weighs. He weighs the heart. He weighs how much is left over. He weighs the sacrifice. That's the point. You can't read this without seeing that. It's all about what's on the inside. And God uh, loves generosity. He loves it because he's so generous with us. He's so generous. Extravagant grace is what we've received. The little gifts, uh, be encouraged because little gifts uh, can often be taken for granted, can't they? The little gifts, like the woman at the temple that day, who noticed that? Didn't even make a sound, kerplunk, when she dropped the coin. Our little gifts can be taken for granted or are not even noticed. Yet sometimes they are, in fact, the biggest gifts of all. Really. And Jesus turns that all upside down. You know the expression, you know, put your money where your mouth is? You've heard that? 
Put your money where your mouth is. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. But the reality is we always put our money where our heart is. Always we do. We, we, we put it to where we think it's important. And we're to be rich in the things of heaven. One of the best ways to tell what is inside you, I know it's true in my own life, what's inside me is what we give. And what we give to God. That's why we often say that our checkbook and not our hymn book is by far a better indicator of our true love for Jesus. I can, I can stand up and sing some great hymns of the faith, right, and impress you or not impress you, certainly. But my checkbook always shows up what, what's really important in my life and in your life. My father, who never knew Jesus till just before he died, used to say that, being an accountant and handling people's personal business, he says, I know all their priorities. How's that, Dad? I know where they spend all their money. He's saying the same thing that Jesus said. We always put our money where our heart is. And this widow, she put everything she had because she loved God from the inside out. And remember Jesus, he gave everything. Well, the point, we must have a heart for God and a heart for giving. Remember, you can, you, can, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving. Oh, I guess they're going to give me a gift. I better get one for them too. <laughs> right? You've never done that. You all look so innocent now. But when you love, you break your neck giving. And that's God-like. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's like a reflex. I can't help myself. I have to. We must have a heart for God and a heart for giving. Sacrificial grace demands sacrificial giving. It's not how much you give. It's how much you have left over after you give. That's all important. Lessons for our life, then I'll close with a little story. Lessons number one, Jesus calls us to be men and women of integrity. That's a wholeness. That's a oneness. Some of you were good at math. Integer, right? Integer is one. What you see is what you get from the inside out. None of this parading business. I mean, we're sinners growing in grace. Or don't pull off this perfection business. You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. If you think I'm there yet, I'm going to disappoint you. You're like, oh, I saw Z. Wow. <laughs> Don't be surprised. And I'll, go, and I'll say, oh, you only know half of it. <laughs> We're growing. God's, we're God's project. Be men and women. Strive for integrity from the inside out so that what is seen is truly a reflection of our heart. Let's not be pretenders. Let's be what we are in Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. And ask the Lord to help you grow in grace. Number two, the reality is that we can't do it ourselves. Pull, pull up by your own bootstraps. That's an old expression. It's not true here. It's God's work in us. We are his trophies, his grace. We need his help from the outside. That's the gospel. Or it's not only the power to save us from the penalty of sin, provide a home in heaven, but more God provides us with the power of God to change us now. Little by little, day by day. That's what God's doing in your life and in mine. If you know him, it's true. 
We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good work. He's conforming us to the likeness of Jesus, preparing us for heaven. Number three, the call of God is all-inclusive. All-inclusive. If you're saved, you are called to be all-in. When we were down in Alabama, the, the other, whatever that was, to see uh, our grandchildren, uh, Faithy uh, had bought at the, the dollar store a bunch of these big chalk bars, you know, huge things. I go, what are we doing that? We're, she's going, I'm going to give it to my granddaughters so that they can write all over their concrete driveway. <laughs> and so sure enough, they're, they're out there with these gigantic chalk things doing all sorts of things all over the driveway. And uh, little Taylor was making a little, a little circle and square. And then she was jumping in and jumping out and jumping, you know, that kind of childhoods. And it reminded me, like, that's what God wants. He wants us to be, like, all in. Not straddle. All in from the heart out. That's what Jesus is commending here. All in. And when we fail, and we fail often, ask the Lord for forgiveness, move on, serve Him. It's a radical call to live a revolu- as a revolutionary in this world. To do so, you must be all in. Are you all in? Are you all for Jesus? All for Jesus, all for it. We sing that, don't we? All for Jesus. Oh, Lord, I want to be. Number four, remember this poor widow. The widow's might. And, and give. Give yourself. Give what you have. Give sacrificially to the Lord. I promise you, the Lord will bless your heart. Givers are joyful people. Maybe you look like and act like you're sucking on lemons, and that's because you're not giving. Giving of your time, your resources, your abilities. Be a blessing to someone. Give. Don't sit around waiting. Well, nobody came to me. Well, get off the bench and get in the game. Give. Be a giver. Live to give. And not to get. God so loved that he gave. This is the way of Jesus. This is the blessed life. More blessed to give than receive. And finally, number five, today ask the Lord Jesus to save you. If you've never trusted him as your Savior, ask him in a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. You paid the price for your sin. Come to the cross just as you are. Don't say, I'm going to dress myself. I'm going to get better. I'm going to work at it. Come just as you are, broken, sinful. Come. Every one of you, come. Lord, save me. I'm yours. And he will save you. All who call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. He will save you. And the verse, those who have the Son have life, but those who do not have the Son, Jesus, do not have life, the wrath of God abides upon. I close with this final, final expression of an example that uh, is uh, always very uh, impressed uh, me and many others. Uh, through the years from Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia in Machen Hall, uh, there's a framed notice there right in the lobby. And the notice uh, read something as this, a Fanny Mooter who was called to glory on October the 20th, 1987. Uh, in a letter from her attorney, we learned that she had only the following personal property in her position in her possession when she died. She had been on Title 19 for the last few years of her life. The notice listed, and it hangs there framed up, in the seminary Machen Hall uh, lobby, 
Uh, it says, the notice listed the contents of her apartment. She had some clothes, six robes, two sweaters, 13 adult diapers, don't smile, 19 hospital gowns, one pair of slippers, five pairs of socks, plus two singles. She also had some personal items, a purse, a mirror, an old thimble, a toothbrush, a comb, some soap, some powder, uh, bottles, and a pair of reading glasses, a toothbrush, a comb, uh, and she needed the reading glass so she could read her two copies of the Bible and her songbook for singing. In addition, she had a broken radio. The only other thing that Fanny had in her possession was some money. You know how much she had? Not much. She only had 12 cents, a dime and two pennies. But the lawyer explained that the old woman had drawn up a will because she felt so strongly that she should invest whatever she had in the work of the kingdom of God. And after the will went through probate, the seminary was a beneficiary of the dime and the two pennies. How gratefully are they displayed on the campus, framed in the lobby at Machen Hall, the beneficiary of a lasting testimony of a woman who gave everything she had to Jesus. And so I ask, what legacy are you leaving? The widow in the gospel had only two cents, but she gave them both to Jesus. Fanny had a lot more than two cents. She had 12 cents, and she gave them all to Jesus. How much do you have? Whatever you have, whatever you're giving out of poverty or out of abundance, I urge you, give it all to Jesus. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful example of this poor widow and Lord, her story has motivated and encouraged Christians through these many centuries. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that, that everything we have is from you, through you, and to you. To God be the glory. And I pray, Lord, that Grace Church would be filled with men and women, boys and girls, who are great givers, that we give our lives away. Oh, what a blessed, sweet, happy church family we will be as we increasingly do that. And resist the temptation to appear far better than what we are, for we're broken and messed up people often. And we're your projects, Lord. And may we humble ourselves and grow in grace and ask that you would use us as we give our lives away. Make us a blessing this week as we go our way. Thank you so much for the gospel, for our Savior, for the Word of God. And use us, Lord, in the hearts and lives of people all around us that need to hear the wonderful love story of the Lord Jesus and be the hands and the feet and the mouth and the heart of Jesus to them. May we be that, Lord. And we'll thank you for the privilege. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful week.